everybody. Welcome back to The Joe Show. Hey, you guys know we've had a couple of authors here on the show, and guess what? We've got another author here with us. Um, his name is Eric, and he's written a book, and it's, a, it's, a, it's about uh, his time in Iraq there. Uh, so, Eric, would you, would you please uh, tell us more about your book that you've written? Uh, yeah, I joined the military in 2005, and um, the book is mainly about my time during basic training and uh, when I was stationed over in Germany and my two tours in Iraq. And um, just talking about uh, the struggles of soldiers and what we had to have to deal with and the emotional struggle that we go through. Gotcha. Now, with, without um, ruining anything that's in the book, could you tell us some of the struggles and things you guys went through while you, while you were overseas? Uh, yeah, so I was a combat engineer. So what our main mission was is that we did route clearance. Our main job was to find IEDs uh, to have safe roads for any U.S. and Iraqi forces to move around the area. Um, we've encountered uh, several IEDs during our deployment, and uh, a lot of things I talk about is the time where we lost soldiers in my unit and times that I've been blown up myself, and um, just how we deal with it with uh, the other soldiers and how we get through it. Man, that's crazy. I can't even imagine this, like the stress level of having to, you know, I, how how does that work? Does so? Do you do you work towards a position like that, or does your commander officer just be like, hey, you're the guy who's gonna be going out for this uh, specific job? Um, when I joined the military, I d I picked combat engineer. Um, a little fortunate for me, uh, the description for combat engineer when I joined was. Uh, clearing minefields and building fortifications, but that job description was more for Vietnam and World War II soldiers. As the Iraq War came along, uh, these IEDs were coming up, so there technically weren't minefields to be cleared, even though there still were, but the IEDs were the bigger threat. So the military decided to use combat engineers to find these IEDs. Um, so that's how I ended up in the job. Gotcha. Now, how do you guys deal with that? Because um, what I meant to say earlier was that it's got to have a high stress level. And then when you come and encounter like a IED or something like that, how do you guys um, cope with um, everything afterwards? Um, yeah, so how we, how we deal with the IEDs, we usually run out on mission between, uh, between about 16 and 20 guys and we're in about four to six vehicles. We're in vehicles that are a little bit more bomb resistant than your typical home V. Mm -hmm. um, and we have uh, one of our main specialized vehicles is called a Buffalo. Um, this Buffalo is a very large vehicle. If um, you ever see the first Transformers movie, there's a scene where Optimus Prime is battling a Decepticon on a highway. Mm -hmm. Well, that Decepticon is the Buffalo. And, gotcha. what, the, and what it is, it has this huge... Uh, hydraulic arm on the front of it. Um, it can carry about 250 pounds, and we use this hydraulic arm to dig, move things around on the side of the road to find these IEDs. In Baghdad, where my first deployment was, there's trash everywhere. So many landfills in the medians, uh, insurgents would hide these IEDs in these landfills. So we would have to dig through most of these landfills to make sure that they were clear. 
Um, we would do this maybe between uh, uh, eight to 12 hours missions mm -hmm. would be depending on if we did find something and we do this six, six days out of the week. Gotcha. Now, now with these IEDs, they're not just sitting on top of the ground. You said, so you guys will have to dig for them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so how about how deep um, will these things be buried? Um, how they disguise these IEDs are a number of ways. There was never one IED that was always the same. Um, like in Afghanistan, there would be deep buried IEDs because mainly in Afghanistan, it's sand everywhere. Mm -hmm. But in Baghdad, <clears throat> it's a regular city. Um, sometimes we would have these IEDs inside the curb. So what they would do was take a chunk out of the curb and have an IED that's molded that looks like the curb and replace it back into the curb. Um, there would be IEDs and dead dogs, sometimes even dead people, uh -huh. hidden in uh, boxes, trash bags. But with us going out every day, we memorized these trash piles. Mm -hmm. And if something was out of place, we would know it. We knew that that trash pile was moved or disturbed in some way, and nine times out of the ten, there would be something in there, and we would find it. Um, sometimes we would, well, most of the times we would find something, but sometimes we'd be uh, less fortunate, and we would have something blow up on us. Gotcha. Um, I think uh, it was our first deployment. We ended up finding 126 IEDs in 15 months, and that's not including the ones that have blown up on us or the fake ones that we have found. Gotcha. Do you guys have any special equipment to track these or is it just you guys just searching for them? It's just us searching for them. Um, we would end up finding them and we would end up call uh, the EOD guys. Those are the guys that actually come out and dispose of the IED. So they come out with their robot check out the IED, see what they need to do to detonate it on site. Um, but sometimes when we would find something, depending on where we are, it mm -hmm. would take them maybe an hour or two hours to get out to us. So we requested a lot that these EOD guys would come out on mission with us because we would find something almost every day. Mm -hmm. um, they were kind of reluctant reluctant to go out with us every day, but <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, would you rather be out with us or come out later where you have to go driving and drive back and then you might have to come back out again because we found something else. So mm -hmm. it's a, uh, it's a give and take. So now do you guys have to, is there any like hand digging or anything to, uh, so like if you find something and do you guys go up to it, if you think it's suspicious and start like hand digging to kind of make sure, or do you just, is that an automatic call to the guys? Well, yeah, as, as I said before, we would use that arm. Okay. Uh, that hydraulic arm would be doing the digging. Well, we never necessarily got out unless it was something uh, really important. Even if we knew it was fake, mm -hmm. we weren't allowed to go out there because you never know that there might be a fake one. The fake one might be there, but you never know there might be a secondary one that's around it. So that's another way they would insurgents would try to uh, attack patrols was have uh, one IED would explode and then when guys would come out and try to help it would have a second one that would go off somewhere to hit the ones that are trying to help the other soldiers gotcha so 
So what inspired you to write, to write um, your book? Was it just the experience and everything that you went through and you wanted people to hear about the stories? Um, I got out of the military when 2010. And for about the last uh, 10 years, I struggled a lot with uh, the loss of uh, friends that I lost in Baghdad and um, just the emotional thing of what I went through and what I've done. And um, I actually, December of 19, I finally had my mental breakdown in my kitchen where I just was, I couldn't. I just had to get rid of all the pain that I was having. So I decided I wanted to make videos and tell about what happened. But me being not so social media savvy, videos weren't going to do it. So I just decided to write it down on paper. Mm-hmm. The more and more I wrote, the better and better I felt. And at that moment, I realized I'm not going to hold anything back. I left every emotion I had, everything that I did on paper. And the more and more I wrote, the weight on my shoulders was lifted. I didn't have to carry that pain or the suffering that I was going through anymore. It was on paper. So I leave it on paper. And now um, I've book's been out for almost about a year now. And I've done a lot of healing during that time. And I'm more at peace with myself. That's good. That's good. And I think um, one thing uh, about your book, too, it, it might help other people, you know, get through the pain that they feel um, with being um, overseas and in combat and things like that. Because, I mean, like my grandfather, he was one of those guys. He was um, I think he went over to Vietnam and it was just one of those things he didn't talk about. It, was, it just brought up too many bad mem- memories and things like that. Um so I, I think this book could be a, kind of a healing point for some um, other soldiers that have been in combat. Yeah, since I wrote it, I've I've had um, people come up saying, hey, I, I have a soldier at home that's struggling, and I try to get them advice. And the more that was going on, the more I decided, you know, I want to do some more of these uh, things, talking with you and, and other people who, like yourselves about the awareness of uh, PTSD on soldiers because right now the number has actually gone up. I think the past year it's now 22 soldiers a day are taking their lives. Uh, within like five years ago it was 21 and I think a little before that was 20. Mm-hmm. So the number's growing really fast and uh, the awareness is getting out there. I'm seeing more billboards. I'm seeing more um, uh, hotline numbers, but still the hotline numbers really don't help. I mean, I struggled myself when I came home. Um, I, when I left, they, yeah, they gave me hotline numbers and sometimes you'd be on hold for God knows how long. And, um, it just didn't really help. And it didn't happen for me until maybe about seven years after I left the military, I went back to college, uh, got my degree and I came across a table in our library and it was a lady that was part of a veteran resource center that was about 10 blocks away from my house that I never knew of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they offered counseling services, um, group talks, uh, things for first soldiers. Um, and I wish that information would be out there more mm-hmm. uh, for soldiers. And for, fortunate enough for me, I'm come from a big city. I'm in, I'm in Chicago, 
But a lot of these soldiers that go in, they're from these little small towns in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that veteran resource center might be three, four hours away. So it's, it's, uh, you got to do a little bit more for these soldiers that are, um, less fortunate enough than I am to be in a major city. Yeah. Cause I, I would have thought that with how intense being in combat is, they would have like a program already ready for everybody that comes back, you know, just say, Hey, mm -hmm. how, how are you doing? How, how's everything going? You know, do you need to go to this resource center or are you good? You know, I know that that's the complete opposite of what actually does happen because when I left active duty, I ended up going in active reserve for three years. So I would have to report once a year, you know, make sure I'm still alive, things like that. But what, what would happen was I would get emails, I would get phone calls, I would have recruiters come to my house saying, hey, how about you come back in? Uh, we'll give you a signing bonus, um, this and that. We'll give you your duty station. It was nothing about, hey, how can we help you with anything that's going on? And this, this happened um, up until my release of the military. The day I finally got my release papers, I never got an email, a phone call, or a recruiter come to my house anymore. So it was basically just left out there without much help. It was more come back and help us type of deal. That's that's crazy. I mean, yeah. um, I don't know if you noticed. I was talking to my dad about this. We were talking about how a lot of the mental hospitals have, you know, kind of shut down for people with mental illnesses, and they yes. they were kind of helping people, you know, but. And, you know, you see all these mass shootings and everything, and it says, you know, they're, they're, this person was mentally ill. And we were like, where are these hospitals and things that was helping people get through these problems? And it's crazy that, you know, it's just something like just me, I, I would automatically think, you know, there's mental hospitals for people who have mental problems. And for people that are um, in the military that come back home, there should be a place for them automatically to help them readjust to the life of a civilian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, VA, the VA does help a little bit, but at the same time, you're probably almost waiting almost six months for an appointment. I mean, that time needs to be cut down a little drastically. I mean, I know my uncle um, was a Vietnam vet, and he ended up having um, some uh, pains in his shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, so they told him, hey, come, your appointment's in five months. Well, a couple of weeks later, he started getting a, a really bad pain in his chest. And he decided, I'm just going to go to the regular hospital. And I'm going to regular hospital. He had, uh, um, wasn't exactly a tumor, but it was growing and it was pushing on his lungs. Mm. And they said, if, if you wouldn't have came in, you probably would have died. And so if you would have waited that six months, he would have been dead because of a problem that he was having. So it's, it's, uh, it does get me going a little bit about how that, ha how this happens to soldiers. But yeah, there has to be a better thing. As you're saying, like these um, mental health uh, places, I mean, there. I know in Chicago they are building um, veteran homes and for homeless soldiers, and but as fast as they're going up, that's as fast as they're being filled. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I mean, there's there's hundreds, thousands of homeless veterans out there um, that really do need help. 
Yeah, and and I, I think that's I think that's one of the reasons um, we need more books like uh, the book you wrote is because yeah it it makes people aware of what soldiers go through and what happens to them when they come back and that you know some some of them they need help you know with the like I said adjusting to civilian life. Yeah, um, I know. A lot of a lot of soldiers they they do take medication and for some of them they do help. Um, with me, I refused the medication. I saw what some of the medications were doing to some of my friends. They were just like turning them into zombies, and I never knew. I didn't want to be like that. That's uh, I wanted to be clear-minded and live my life. It was just something that I couldn't go through. Yeah, yeah. So what? Um... I haven't even named the title. What's the title of your book? Uh, it's called "The Bomb Hunter Story: My Life Clearing the Roads of Iraq." Gotcha. That's 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 powerful. And how how long has it? You said it's been a year. It's been out. Yeah, it's been July of last year. Gotcha. Uh, so has it been an easy? Has it been easy getting it out since uh, COVID and everything? Um, yeah, I um, I published it myself. Um, I. I didn't want to go through any companies because, I mean, some companies might take stuff out or put stuff in. Um, I wanted to tell what really happened. And a lot of the things that did happen during my time were a little shady with my units, especially the the days where we did lose soldiers. Things happened. And a lot of the family members of the lost soldiers really didn't get the truth of what happened mm-hmm. those nights and me being there those nights, I really wanted to tell the story of what really happened. Um, it, it just needed to be told. Yeah, guys, so you guys should go out and check out Eric's book, A Bomb Hunter Stories, My Life Clearing the Roads of Iraq. It's on Amazon, and you guys should definitely check it out. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be a good read. Eric, thank you for coming on to the show. Guys, if you like this, you guys can find us on Facebook at The Joe Show, Instagram at The underscore Joe Show 20, Reddit at The Joe Show. And as always, you guys can leave us a comment on Facebook, Reddit, or on Instagram. Thank you guys for listening to The Joe Show. We'll see you guys next time.